Now, long before he died, Bob Gustafson was speaking with one of his sons. And he said, you know, we're all missionaries. We just don't get that. But we're all missionaries. He said, too many of us just don't really believe that people are on the way to hell. What a powerfully convicting song. Thank you. Let's open our Bibles together to a text that speaks of the Savior and of the cross, his saving work. Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. As human beings, we are reluctant to give away what is ours and what is precious. We're happy to give away the leaves that fall from our trees, but not the trees themselves. We may only have one or two of them in our yard. The leaves are nothing. The trees are precious. We're willing to give away the sand on the beach if someone wants a bucket full, but don't let them interrupt or interfere with our view of the lake. Pictures of our family, we can duplicate those and give them to many, but we're not willing to let loose of our children. What is precious, we carefully preserve. And nothing is more precious than life, life itself, with its time, its energy, its influence, and its relationships. We have to thoughtfully invest our lives so that our lives count for the very most. And we need to invest our lives in a way that is unselfish. The fact is that when you and I pass through adversity in life, it has a way of causing us to pull in, to circle the wagons, to hunker down. Our problems cause us to breed caution so that we don't have time or energy or resources for others and their problems we're overwhelmed already by the demands that are made upon us in our own set of circumstances. 
If you and I give in to that kind of thinking, we will seldom find much joy in our adversity. The focus on ourselves will become suffocating and stifling to our souls. The world in which we live cries out, Please me, serve me, give me, notice me, pay me, worship me. Everything is pointed inward. But God calls us in Jesus Christ to live with our lives pointed outward toward others. To experience joy in life, and especially in our adversities. You and I need to commit ourselves to seek to give of ourselves to others unselfishly. That is where we find joy. Our text today contains an exhortation to that end in verses 3 and 4. What is to be the Christian's attitude toward life and its opportunities? We are to seek the good of others. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Selfish ambition comes from a noun that originally meant a day laborer. And then it came to mean what the laborer was paid for his work. As time progressed, the word came to refer to that which is sought for oneself. It meant to jockey for a place of importance or power or position. It refers to the ambition which has no conception of service and whose only aims are profit and power, selfish ambition. And he links that together with vain conceits, empty glory, that we're tempted to seek for ourselves. Paul says, do not do anything in life motivated by those two things. And in a day when you and I pick up our newspapers and we read about the leaders of our nation, and we see too many of them motivated by the very things that Paul says to avoid, we understand that to live this way is to live distinctively in the world. To not allow our lives to be motivated by selfish ambition or the pursuit of empty glory, but rather to be motivated out of a heart of service for others. He says to us that we are to weigh carefully, we are to consider this fact that others are better than ourselves. What does he mean by that? He's not talking about an inferiority complex. He's not thinking that we ought to believe evil things about ourselves at all. But he's saying to us that we're not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. There is a proper healthy self-esteem, we understand that. But we're not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. I heard about a gentleman in the military who was given a promotion to major. 
He was very excited about that. He received a new office. And in the office was a big desk and a leather chair. A flag was hanging behind him. He had an intercom on his desk and a secretary on the other end of it. And he was just in his glory as he thought about his new position and the intercom rang. And he said, yes. And the secretary said, sir, there's a soldier here to see you. The major said, well, send him in. And he quickly picked up his telephone, and as soon as the soldier came in, he began to speak, and he said, Why, why yes, General Schwarzkopf. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, any time you feel like you want my advice, you feel free to call. And by the way, General, my wife and I really enjoyed the time with you and your wife last weekend in your home. Yes, sir. And uh, yes, sir, we are. We're looking forward to your visit to our home in just a couple of weeks as well. Thank you, sir. It's good to talk to you too, sir. Thank you. And he hung up. And he turned to the young private who had just come in. He said, well, private, can I help you? The private said, no, sir, I just came in to hook up your telephone. (laughs) We are not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. How do we flesh that out? Verse 4 says, each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interests of others. That's how we flesh it out in life. Day by day in our discourse with people, as we interact with them and deal with them, we're to look out for their interests also. Years ago, I heard that little acrostic joy, J-O-Y, Jesus, others, yourself. When we keep it in that order, we experience joy even in our adversity. Imagine the kind of revolution that might bring to your relationships. If you could actually implant in your heart and practice in your life what the Apostle says here regarding how we're to serve others, it gives us a wonderful example. We may wonder, can anybody really live that way? Well, someone did. His name was Jesus Christ. He embodied this principle of selfless living. The Apostle tells us regarding his existence that he was eternal God. That he was in the form of God. He was by very nature deity itself. But the expression of his selflessness was found in his attitude that he did not consider Equality with God, something to be grasped, to be held on to at any cost. And he took action based upon that attitude. He emptied himself. He made himself nothing. In other words, he set aside his visible glory of God. And he took upon himself the very nature of a servant... And was made in human likeness. All of this the story of the incarnation. The language here means that Jesus Christ, though God, was truly human. But it also leaves room for him being more than merely human. As others saw him on the exterior, he was indeed a man. But he was more than a man. He was God himself. He says that his action of self-renunciation was so complete that he humbled himself 
and became obedient to death, even the cross death. He was willing to put aside his personal rights and serve us. The Son of God condescended to the depths of sinful humanity, being without sin himself, and embraced humanity with its death and its judgment, becoming on the cross sin for the sake of those whom he would redeem. You see, he considered the interest of others as more important than his own. Self-renunciation. On your part and mine, even in the midst of adversity, and the seeking of the good and the welfare of others frees us to experience the kind of joy that Jesus knew, who for the joy before him endured the cross. But we wonder, can I really risk this? If I live the way the Bible tells me to live here, who is going to meet my needs? Who's going to look out for my interests as I look out for the interests of others? How do we handle that fear? That fear in our hearts that says, if I look out for their interests, somehow mine are going to get lost in the process. I believe that's how the Apostle begins this chapter, with this word of explanation about how we can actually live this way. He says in the first place, you are united to Jesus Christ. You're one with Him. And you are the object of His eternal affection, His love. He has gone so far as to give you the Holy Spirit to live in you. And with those blessings, he has given you encouragement and comfort, fellowship and compassion. And out of all of those gifts, he says, now experience a oneness of mind with other believers. What is that oneness? What is that oneness that he tells us to strive for? I believe that that oneness of mind is this attitude that we are all seeking the good of others. As you and I practice that in the church of Jesus Christ, it means that as I'm looking out for your interests, you're looking out for my interests. And God is looking out for all of us. It's a wonderful thing. He says we are to have oneness of mind. Being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. What is the purpose? To seek the good in your life as you seek the good in others' life. And he says that 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 unity affects our decisions. We're like-minded. That unity affects our affections. We have the same love. It impacts our disposition. We are one in spirit. It impacts our intentions. We are one in purpose. If you and I want to find joy in life, and even in the midst of heartache and sorrow, 
We find it in seeking the welfare and good of others. Selfless living is a fountain of joy in the midst of adversity. I ask permission to share this with you this morning. Two weeks ago this weekend, Bob and Lee Gustafson had a free weekend on their calendar. It was the only one for weeks and weeks, a free weekend. When the two of them could go off and just be together, And to make that possible, to provide the resources for it. Doris Ann and Moody Stewart gave them a gift. In the midst of their own heartache and the years of decline in Moody's condition, in the midst of the last few months when Doris Ann has said God has been preparing her since November for Moody's departure. But of course, not knowing when it was going to be, not knowing that it was going to be less than two weeks away. And no one knowing that Bob was going to be called home. Out of the midst of the adversity in one family, a gift was given selflessly another couple so that they could enjoy a weekend together the last one they had like that do you think that there's any regret today of that selfless gift it provided joy then it provides even a greater joy now we cannot live our lives any better than to lay them down unselfishly and to live so that we consider the interests of others as well as our own. When we live like that, we live like Jesus lived and died. You say, I'm not sure I can do that. Yes, you can. If you're a Christian, you can. If you're not in Jesus Christ, then you're correct. You cannot live that way because only God's people can really live this way. But if you're in Jesus Christ, you can live this way. In your worship folder, there's a little chorus I would like us to sing as we bring this service to a close. It says, I am loved. I am loved. I can risk loving you. Let's sing that together. Just remain seated as we sing. I am loved, you are loved. I can risk loving you. For the one who knows me best Loves me most I am loved, I am loved Won't you?
We are free to love each other. We are loved. You see that truth? I am loved. I can risk loving you. We are loved by God's love. His love fills our hearts. We don't have to be afraid to love others and to love them without any thought of something in return. It's to give of ourselves unselfishly. Therein is joy. Let's sing it again. I am loved. I am loved. I can risk loving you. For the one who knows me best Loves me most I am loved, I am loved Won't you please take my hand We are free to love each other We are bow our heads together. In just a moment, we're going to sing another hymn, 443, but before you look to that, let's look to our Lord. Lord Jesus, you gave of yourself so completely, so unselfishly. Teach us to live that way. Free us from fear Teach us to know that because you love us, we can love others without any thought of self. Lord, lay in our hearts right now people around us, in the family of God and outside the family of God, who need our love. Thank you for the benefit and the byproduct of this kind of life, joy joy even in our own pain, in our own heartache, our own problems. Amen.